0: Hello, and welcome to the latest Moneymakers Weekly Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook, and I am joined again by Simon Elliott, head of investment trust research at Winterflood Securities. I've been lucky to be on holiday this week in France, but Simon has been watching the markets closely and diligently as ever. So, why don't we just kick off by telling me and telling everyone else what's been happening this week, uh, Simon, in the markets?
1: Yeah, it's pretty fair to say it's been a little bit of a tricky week for the market. So just to put some numbers around that, the investment company sector finds itself down 0.4% on the week. That actually represents a relative outperformance of the wider UK market. So the FTSE All Share is down 1.5%. In terms of the sector average discount for the investment company sector, that actually narrowed in a little bit. Probably started the week at 2.4%, ended at 2.3% but we did see it widen out at one stage in the week, probably at one stage, nearly 3%. But I think overall, it's probably fair to say that the market's taking stock a bit this week. There's been some slightly mixed economic data out, although the underlying fundamentals remain strong. In other words, the the earnings that were seen from corporates, there's possibly been a little bit of profit taking after several very positive weeks. And some strategists are talking about a rolling correction. But looking at the investment company sector, volumes are still relatively muted. Despite the the pickup in the city, there's a real back-to-school vibe there with a lot more people back in the office. Suddenly activity trading volumes are low in the investment company sector.
0: And we should perhaps mention uh, that one thing that has reached me here in France is that uh, the government's proposing to put up national insurance rates to pay for social care. and. Uh might also be uh, changing the uh, taxation rate on dividends. Am I right about that? Am I going to come back to a more expensive country?
1: Yeah, you, know, you might want to stay out in France a bit longer. No, you're absolutely correct. And obviously, there's been a lot of commentary around that and the implications for that. You know, whether that's had an impact on the UK market is a mute point. But I think it was something that was relatively well signposted. I think people realised that it was a bill to be paid, um, and it was just a question of how that might work out.
0: Yes. And we'll see when that comes into effect. It has been voted through, I believe. Let's move on and talk about some activity. A lot of things going on in the market this week. And that's certainly true of the sector. I can see that. Uh, So let's tick off some of the corporate news, first of all. We'll start off with the Aberdeen Asian Income Fund, ticker AAIF. And I think this is just a bit of rounding off this particular transaction.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think we talked about this either last week or the previous week. Essentially, this investment trust company was looking to move onshore for tax reasons it's a, it's currently a jersey domiciled investment company but the idea is that it moves onshore and shareholders approved that on the 8th of September there was a, an EGM and it becomes a UK tax resident. Therefore, from the 1st of January next year, 99.9% were in favour of that development. So that's positive. At the same time, the uh, investment trust asked its shareholders to approve a change in its name. And the proposal was the Aberdeen, with no vowels, Asian income fund. That was also passed, not quite as convincingly as the other motion. So 96.6% in favour. So two point eight million shares voted against that name change.
0: Yes, indeed. So it's now ABRDN all in lowercase letters followed by Asian Income Fund all in capital with capital letters at the beginning. Yeah, I don't think it would pass GCSE English, would it? But uh, never mind. It's uh, what they've chosen to do. And I'm sure it's a very good thing. And we'll hear more about that in a moment, I think. Let's move on and talk about Aurora, which is uh, a very interesting investment trust uh, about which you've uh, talked eloquently in the past, Simon. What's been going on there? Yeah,
1: so proposals came out this week, and this is a slightly complicated deal, so I'll try and run through this as quickly and succinctly as I can. Basically, they're looking to transfer a proportion of the fund's holdings in three specific companies being Dignity, Hornby, and Phoenix SG, which is effectively a holding company for Stanley Gibbons, and they're going to move it to a new investment company called the Castelnau Group. Again, I've probably mispronounced that. But the idea is that this investment company would also be managed by Phoenix Asset Management, who are the managers of Aurora. And I think the idea, I mean, Phoenix have been talking about this for a few years now. And to be honest, I think their plans were slightly delayed because of COVID and, and obviously what's happened over the last 18 months. But they're now looking to get this specific investment company, the Castelnau Group, up and running. It's going to be traded on the specialist fund segment. the London Stock Exchange's main market. And clients of Phoenix are expected to hold between 63 and 73% of the company. In addition to that, a gentleman called Sir Peter Wood, who people might be aware of for his entrepreneurial activity with various insurance companies, including Direct Line, he will make a £25 million investment into this new investment company. So I think the idea is that the Castanel Group will look to develop these businesses. So within the group, there will be a digital marketing business, there'll be a data science business. And I think this represents Phoenix and and Gary Challen's attempts to really be more than passive owners or investors in businesses. I think they want to get involved with improving these businesses. So it's a bit of a step change in the strategy. I think clearly they're quite excited about it. And As I mentioned, shareholder permission will be required. The shareholders of Aurora have to approve this because it's a related party transaction. And that will be at a general meeting on the 28th of September.
0: What will be the impact on Aurora itself then, if they're transferring some of its holdings to this other investment How is that going to uh, affect the Aurora portfolio? And what will it look like after this has happened? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think by the looks of it, they will move
1: just under 15% of the portfolio at the point they do it via those three names, as I mentioned, into the new investment company. So it's going to be a very large stake that Aurora will hold in this other investment company. That will be a traded company. So you will value that position at the share price clearly. And it's a related party. So we have seen other investment trusts or we do see other investment trusts that have not dissimilar key holdings. So there's some in the Aberdeen Standard stable and there's certainly one in the JP Morgan stable. So it's not entirely uh, exceptional, but it is a little bit different. I mean, I think, as I mentioned, Phoenix are very excited about it. They're talking about this new investment vehicle with a target outperformance over the FTSE all share of between 10 and 15% per annum. They're talking about a minimum absolute performance NAV total return of 20% per annum for this vehicle. So I think they're clearly quite excited about the upside that exists within those three businesses and possibly more that they will add into that specific investment company.
0: Yes, I mean, those are quite striking targets to be uh, committing to in public. I'm just wondering what has happened and what will happen to the rating at which Aurora trades. Is that going to have any impact on that, do you think? Do you think it's a positive or or potentially a negative? No, that's a good question. I mean,
1: Aurora at the moment is probably trending on a discount of between about 4 and 5%. And it has been derated a little bit, actually. So its average over the previous 12 months is near to about 1.5%. So we have seen a little bit of a derating this year. I don't think that's a reflection of these proposals. As I mentioned, they've been talking about this for some time. So I don't think that's particularly had an impact in their rating. I suspect it's more a function of their portfolio, which, as people may remember, they have a very specific investment approach. It's very contrarian, very value-orientated, and very concentrated portfolio of UK equities. So I think that's really the, the, the story behind the discount. But yes, I mean, obviously, shareholders have to approve this. So it'd be interesting to see what the response will be.
0: Yeah, certainly is an interesting situation. And uh, that's one I will certainly have a, be having a look at when that uh, comes round. Let's move on and talk about Biopharma Credit, BPCR, which is far from going to the specialist fund segment of the market, is actually moving out of the specialist fund segment of the market. Can you tell us uh, what's going on there?
1: That's right. Well, certainly that's the proposal. It's subject to shareholder approval. There'll be a general meeting on the 30th of September. And yeah, effectively, they argue that they're in a good position to move to the premium segment. There has to be various changes in order to accommodate that in terms of their voting structure and um, changes to their investment policy. But the board believes that that change to the listing will raise the fund's profile That will enable continued growth, a broader shareholder register, and it will allow for the inclusion in the FTSE UK index series, which is something that we've talked about again in recent weeks. It's also worth noting that this fund has a periodic continuation vote that was due for the AGM in 2022. And that's actually going to be brought forward to the uh, general meeting at the end of September.
0: Yes, that's an interesting aspect. I haven't noticed that happening before. Is that because they think they're more likely to get the continuation vote at the moment, or is it just related to the fact they're making a change in uh, where the listing is? What do you think the thinking is behind that?
1: I think probably uh, the latter. I suspect they probably just see this as housekeeping, to be perfectly honest. We sometimes see continuation votes move around to coincide with uh, some form of corporate activity or possibly some kind of structural change, a tender offer, a debt issuance, something like that. So again, you know, shareholders have to approve this. So this is not out of the ordinary.
0: Okay, and those shares are actually trading quite well, anyway, aren't they? I think they're somewhere pretty close to par at the moment, aren't they? Somewhere like that, or a small discount? Yeah, that's right.
1: A small discount, probably about three percent or so, and they've averaged a two percent discount uh, in the previous twelve months.
0: Okay, so we we'll move on and talk about Custodian Reit. C R E I is the ticker. Where we know they've been engaged in a transaction to uh, acquire the shares of Drum Income Plus Reit, and uh, there's a sort of update of finalisation of that, I think. What's the uh, the final outcome of that?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I think we talked about this in early August, at which stage there was a kind of possible offer on the table. That's now effectively moved to the agreement stage. The respective boards have reached agreement on the terms of the recommending, and this is an all-share acquisition of drum Income Plus by uh, custodian REIT. So the ratio of shares, it's going to be 053 New custodian REIT shares in exchange for every share in Drum Income Plus. That ratio has changed a little from what was originally talked about in early August. I think it was 0.535. So what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean too much, but the valuation therefore has dropped from 21.6 million to 21.4 million. So not too much of a material change. I mean, it represents an 8% premium to the closing price before the original announcement was made in early August. And uh, as I say, it's it's subject to shareholder approval. It needs 75% at least of the Drum Income Plus shareholders voting in favour. Now, if this all goes through, then the scheme is expected to become effective on the 3rd of November, uh, with the new shares admitted to trading on the 4th of November.
0: As it happens, I'm an investor in this particular <laughs> investment trust custody, so I have noticed. And I noticed the share price has been a little bit weak while this has all been going on. In fact, it's gone to a small discount, I think. But is that just sort of technical factors at work here, you know, to do with the, the working out of these proposals? Or is there something else one can read into that?
1: I mean, it's a possibility. I mean, again, just to put some numbers around it, I've got it trading on about a 5% discount at the moment. That compares with an average over the previous 12 months of a 3% discount. But again, just to put some context around that, I mean, that UK commercial property sector in which it sits, I mean, you know, 15, 20% discounts are not uh, uncommon. There is quite a range, it's fair to say. So it's always and it remains one of the higher rated property vehicles in that subsector. Has this been a factor? Has this deal been a bit of a factor? Potentially. I mean, what it means is that in terms of the ongoing vehicle, Drum Income Plus REIT shareholders will end up only about 4.6% of the share capital of the enlarged fund. Now, could the market be looking at that and thinking, well, that might be a bit of an overhang? It's a possibility. But to be honest, my kind of gut feeling is it shouldn't be a material uh, amount, you know, sub 5%
0: holding. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a material amount to me. So maybe there's some other factors that work there. But uh, I mean, I think I might say that a couple of years ago, custodian REIT was, uh, was trading at a premium, was it not? before the pandemic. Well, absolutely, we feel the world changed. Uh,
1: but even in the in the previous 12 months, I mean, it, like all these things, it's been on a range. It has been on a 7% premium at one stage during the previous 12 months.
0: Okay, well, that's one to keep an eye on, certainly in my case, as I have a, seem to have a vested interest in that one. Let's move on and talk about GCP student living. This is DIGS, the ticker DIGS. We've talked about this a fair deal. That is, I think, about to um, disappear.
1: Yeah, in as much as shareholders have voted, they have had their say on this one. Actually, 57% of the eligible shares were voted for GCP student living and 81% of shares voted in favour of the scheme, though 19%. Actually, at the general meeting, 78% of shares voted were in favour of the acquisition. So that's expected to become effective during the final quarter of this year, Uh, And we're going to get uh, more details in the near term in terms of the timetable. I mean, it is just worth pausing at that stage. I mean, 78%, as I said, of shares were voted in favour. They needed 75%, is my understanding. It was a special resolution in order for it to pass. So there wasn't much headroom in this. So it goes back to, you know, was this the right price? to be paid to acquire a GCP student living. And we, we talked about that at some length in recent weeks, but it would seem to be that some shareholders probably took a different view of this, but it's still passed and it will still, as you say, GCP student living will not be with us for too much longer.
0: So we can move on then and talk about a rather bigger transaction. This is a Genesis Emerging Markets, ticker GSS, where we know that the mandate is going to move from Genesis to Fidelity, But we also know there were going to be some more details coming about uh, a tender offer. So what have they had to say?
1: That's right. So this we learned a little bit more about the timetable. Um, There's a general meeting on the 1st of October seeking shareholder approval for this. And in particular, the 25% tender offer, uh, which will be held at a 2% discount to NAV. And that's as at the 18th of October. Uh, So basically at that general meeting on the 1st of October, shareholder approval will be sought for the adoption of the new investment policy, a name change to Fidelity Emerging Markets, and also that tender offer. Now, if that's all approved, Fidelity will effectively get their hands on this investment trust on the 4th of October. And in fact, the tender offer is not conditional on approval for the new investment policy or name change. But this is all moving on a pace. So within the next month or so, this will be part of the Fidelity stable.
0: And it'll be interesting to see how many shareholders do actually... uh Participate in the tender offer. I guess, the, as I understand it, the fidelity obviously had to include this in order to allow those shareholders who didn't want to make the change to uh, to have an exit of some form. Do you have any clues as to what might happen there? What's the normal kind of form in these things?
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. I think it's always worth just keeping an eye on on the share price and the discount, the rating that these funds are trading at. So, as I mentioned, that tender offer will be held at a two percent discount to NAV. At the moment, the fund is trading on a six percent discount. So, you know, people might be tempted, even if they were potentially long term holders, they might be tempted to um, take a little bit of an uplift to get out at a two percent discount. But as that discount narrows in, some shareholders may uh, feel that actually it just makes more sense to remain invested. But there are a few institutional shareholders on the register of this one, and they may welcome uh, the liquidity event. I mean, certainly, I think Fidelity will be keen to grow this investment trust with time. So they will be quite happy to provide that exit one suspects uh, in order to have a, a something kind of tighter shareholder base. And therefore, hopefully, from their point of view, a stronger rating that will allow them to eventually get to a premium and issue new shares going forward.
0: Indeed. So finally, on the corporate activity front, let's talk about LXI REIT. Obviously, its name implied, ticker LXI, is a property investment trust with a particular strategy, and uh, they had to put a statement out about some press speculation that they might be involved in a acquisition or merger or some such thing. What can you tell us about that, Simon?
1: Yeah, and it's worth, just before we go into this, um, this is a requirement. So if you're mentioned in the media in terms of a potential acquisition target or potential merger deal, it is the convention. It is the requirement that you come out and tell the market exactly what's going on. So this week, LXI REIT issued a statement regarding some speculation that had appeared in the media and the board of LXI REIT confirmed that, in fact, it had been involved in, quote, very preliminary discussions with a company called Secure Income REIT about a possible merger. However, it is no longer reviewing this opportunity. So I guess the subtext is nothing to see here. Secure income REIT, that's actually an aim-traded REIT. It's very much focused on the leisure and travel sectors. It's a pretty substantial size, about 1.3 billion market cap. I think it's got a yield of about 3.8%. We don't cover this, I must be honest, as part of our investment company's universe. It's an aim-traded one, so it kind of falls outside what we look at. But clearly, If there's anything to be taken away from this, it's just, uh, well, we've already mentioned GCP student living, we've already mentioned custodian REIT, but it feels as if the property sector uh, is quite open to looking at at deals at the moment.
0: So secure income REIT is substantially larger than LXI REIT, would that be fair to say? Or are they about the same size? LXI is about a billion in assets? That's right. So they're they're a similar size actually, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and actually LXI REIT is trading on a pretty decent premium as well. A 20% premium is just one of the strongest in the subsector. So they certainly seem to have had a, a good war, to use an expression, but yeah, a decent size. But anyway, as mentioned, no longer reviewing this opportunity, say the board of LXI Reed.
0: Okay, so we'll move on from there. That's some, another one to think about what that might imply for either of those two uh, REITs. But let's move on and talk about some more fundraising. It's still going on. So let's uh, start off with Aberdeen Standard European Logistics Income. That's ticker A-S-L-I, still called Aberdeen Standard European Logistics Income. I wonder how long that will remain the case. What are they proposing to do?
1: Well, their announcement this week is that they're looking to raise proceeds of around about £75 million. They're also going to put into place a 12-month share issuance program for an additional 250 million new shares. That £75 million placing that will be done at an uh, issue price of 109 p per share. That represents about an 8% discount to the closing price just ahead of this announcement, and a 3% premium to the NAV at the end of June. So the placing is expected to close on the 29th of September, with the new shares again expected to begin trading on the 1st of October. Shareholder approval is needed for this to all happen, and that will be sought at a general meeting on the 30th of of September. And the manager has a pipeline lined up of mid-box and urban logistic warehouses with an aggregate value of about 165 million euros. But uh, certainly the net proceeds are expected to be invested within three to six months of admission.
0: Splendid. Let's move on and talk about Aquila European Renewables Income. That's AERI and AERS the tickers, the two share classes. They have already raised some money, I think. What's the outcome there?
1: Yep, they announced this week that they'd raised €90 million uh, through the issue of 87.4 million shares at uh, €1.03. That was through their placing programme. That issue price represented a 5% premium to their NAV at the end of June. And those new shares will begin to trade on the 14th of September. It's worth just noting, though, that they were actually targeting an issue size of about 100 million euros. So it was a little bit short of what they were looking for. And they did actually say they could go up to 150 million euros if demand was high. Obviously, that hasn't been the case, but 90 million does take them quite a long way along the road. And they have a pipeline of assets that they have given a bit more detail in terms of how that capital will be deployed.
0: Okay. So we move on to Target Healthcare REIT, another Specialist Property Trust, which has been trading on a premium, they've had uh, been thinking about some fundraising. So what have they got to say about that?
1: That's right. Well, they were looking to raise £100 million through a placing. Actually, earlier in the week, they came out and said they were going to increase that to £125 million. That was on the basis of a very strong level of support from investors. And that's exactly what came to pass they announced that uh, £125 million pounds had been raised through uh, a significantly oversubscribed issues. 109 million new shares were issued at 115p per share, and that represented a 4% premium to the EPRA NAV. So they had, did actually have to scale back that issue. But it's, they've got a pipeline of about £230 million pounds lined up. They've got 18 operational care homes that they're targeting. And this represents the second time they've been to the market this year. They raised £60 million back in March, and that was at a price of 111p, and that was also oversubscribed.
0: So that's performing well and seems to be finding demand from investors. And what about Tritax Eurobox? That's the next on our list, which is ticker EBOX. What are they doing on the fundraising front?
1: Yep. So they're looking to raise uh, 200 million euros, so about 170 million in-, in sterling or so. So they've announced plans for replacing. They've got this target issue of 152.5 million new ordinary shares, and that would be at a price of five p Now, that represents about a 4% premium just under to their estimated NAV at the end of June. Again, they have a pipeline, a near-term pipeline of £520 million worth of assets. That includes two German uh, assets, So these are big box logistics, and they've also announced some more details of other contracts that they are involved with. They last came to the market again back in March, and they raised just short of 200 million at that stage at 103p per share.
0: So this is becoming quite a significant sized investment trust, I would think. Uh, What kind of uh, yield are they offering their investors?
1: So TriTax Eurobox, they've got a market cap of about £692 million at the moment, uh, and on a historic basis, their yield is 3.2%.
0: And as out of interest, how does that compare to the TriTax Big Box REIT? Obviously, it invests in a different market, but uh, that's obviously substantially bigger now, but that's been very successful. What are, what are they yielding? Is it similar sort of level?
1: Well, the yield is actually lower on TriTax Big Box. It's probably about 2.8% at the moment. But the thing to remember there is it's actually trading on a, on a premium rating, probably about 21%. So we've seen quite a lot of yield contraction as that share price has risen ahead of the NAV. So, yeah, you do get a pickup on yield on TriTax Euro box, and we've got it on about a 2% premium or so at the moment.
0: Okay, so that's all the, all the fundraising this week. I dare say there'll be some more coming. There seems to be still noises out there in the market that there will be some more fundraising coming. I can't expect you to comment about what, what you're doing at your shop, Simon, but uh, is that your general expectation? We're going to see a bit more fundraising as long as these markets remain strong and demand is there.
1: I think that's right. I mean, you know, all the investment companies that we talked about in terms of fundraising this week, they're all property shares. I think we've won exception. So very much a demand for beds and sheds. Infrastructure clearly is a very popular asset class still. So that's the kind of area where we would expect more attempts to raise new capital. But the investment company sector is also very good at throwing up left field ideas as well. So I think we've talked in recent months about space funds or you know, we talk about music royalties probably every week, but there are always these kind of left field, uh, more esoteric asset classes. And it wouldn't be a surprise to see one or two of that type pop up in the next month or so.
0: Yes. And that's certainly uh, the case. You may hear about a couple of those trusts in a moment when we go through some results. Let's move on then and start with results. And let's start with another investment trust whose name may be about to change. And that is Standard Life UK Smaller Companies Trust. The ticker currently is SLS. And this is. Harry Nimmo's UK Smaller Companies Trust. He's been around for many years and had a very good long-term track record. What have they had to say this week?
1: So they announced annual results for the year to the end of June, in which time they generated an NAV total return of 41.9%. However, that did represent an underperformance of their benchmark, which was up 52.3%. In share price terms, they were somewhere in the middle of that, so they were up 46.9% as the discount narrowed into about a 5% level. But you're absolutely right in terms of the, the name change. There is a proposal to change the name to the Aberdeen, or no vowels, lowercase, UK Smaller Companies Growth Trust, and the ticket AUSC. And that will be uh, subject to shareholder approval at the AGM on the 21st of October. But you're right, uh, Harry Nimmo and uh, Abby Glenny also involved with this one these days. Very strong long-term track record, a relative underperformance in this particular year. So the commentary around that is that they were effectively ahead of the index until we saw that kind of vaccine bounce or the rotation into value towards the end of last year in the first quarter of this year. And that was the period at which they underperformed. And that's something that you see throughout Harry's track record at times of a market bounce, his emphasis on quality growth companies, uh, as he would term them, means that they are subject to uh, lagging at that stage but some good commentary around some of the companies that they're excited about at the moment uh, and, and some of their, their top performers in the period.
0: Yes, and I'm sure you're all a god to know why they haven't changed the ticket to ASC, in Smaller Companies. And I can tell you the answer to that is that because there is already a company, and that is ASOS, the online retailer, which already has that ticker. So they've had to go for something slightly different, AUSC. Uh, but the shares have been performing very well, notwithstanding the fact that they're slightly underperformed. But their rating has gone out a little bit, I think, hasn't it recently? Do they not have some kind of, um, I don't think it's official, but a kind of uh, effective discount rate control mechanism?
1: Well, again, just to put some numbers around that, I've got them on about a 5% discount at the moment. And on the top of my head, I'm going to tell you they do have an official discount target. And again, my recollection is it's at about an 8% level. 8% rings a bell with me Yeah, uh, now I think about it. And uh, I think they have policed that relatively successfully over the years. But I mean, in terms of their, their performance record, uh, I mean, they're up 134% in NAV total return terms over the last five years. That compares to a rise of 58% uh, for the NSCI X Investment Companies Index. So a uh, material outperformance and, and certainly they'd be one of the stronger performers in their UK small cap peer group.
0: Okay, so we'll move on and talk about some overseas trusts now, specialist country trusts these are. The first one is Vietnam Enterprise Investments, ticker VEIL, and they've had some interim results to the 30th of June.
1: That's correct, in which time their NAV per share was up 42%, and that represented an outperformance of their index, the VN index, which was up 13%. So the outperformance was attributed to the portfolio restructuring last year in 2020, which increased exposure to sectors expected to benefit from the post-COVID economy. So outperformers came from overweight positions in banking, real estate and steel. But Vietnam is always a, a very interesting story. This one is managed by an outfit called Dragon Capital, which are a very long-established investment manager actually based in Vietnam. Um, and so some good commentary around what's going on there in that country and how they're dealing with the fallout from covid
0: Okay, and we can move on and then and talk about, is it Vice or Weiss Career Opportunity, WKOF? They obviously are a specialist Korean investment trust. They've also had interim results for the same period. And how did this particular vehicle perform? Uh,
1: Vice Career Opportunity. So they had interim results for the six months to the end of June, in which time they had an NAV total return up 14.8%. And that represented an outperformance. Uh, Their benchmark was up 7.5%. But obviously quite a specialist investment company, this one. Uh, It effectively invests in listed South Korean preference shares. Uh, That's key preference shares, which trade at a discount to ordinary shares. So it's a kind of valuation or relative value play. It's a very concentrated portfolio, about 36 holdings or so, of which over 70% of net assets are in the top 10. But as part of the results, the, the board noted that, uh, well, the, certainly the ratings come in. It's only on about a 2%, 3% discount at the moment. And the board um, sees an opportunity to raise additional equity for the first time since 2013. So further announcements will follow.
0: OK, so that certainly is a specialist vehicle. You can't get much more specialist than that, I guess. So let's move on and talk about some of these infrastructure trusts that you alluded to earlier. One of the more recent arrivals on the scene have been these digital infrastructure and we've had some uh, news from Digital 9 Infrastructure, which is one of the two, ticker DGIN. What do they had to say?
1: Yep. So, they had results out from their launch to the end of June. And uh, just to remind people, they raised £300 million pounds actually back in March through their IPO and came back again in June, raising an additional £175 million. Pounds. So, it's been a very busy start to this investment company. Um, the NV at the end of June was 103.34p, so an increase of about 5.5% since IPO. The manager noted that there's been positive operational performance at Aquacomms, which is their kind of key holding to date. Uh, obviously, a lot of this is about getting their capital invested. 170 million pounds was in, invested into Aquacoms, and they're looking to get uh, additional capital to work. In fact. They noted that uh, their intention is to undertake further equity raises in the near term. So they haven't provided more details of that. Uh, the dividends, obviously an important part of the story here. And uh, again, they have declared a dividend of 1.5p in respect of the second quarter of this year, and that's in line with the target at IPO. But they're looking to target an annualised dividend of 6p, which will be equivalent to 4.5p for this year because it's a nine-month period. But uh, thereafter, look to adopt a progressive dividend policy.
0: So, if we just take that six p and just assume we get there, and the current share price, as you said, is what now because of the is trading at a premium. Obviously, what what is the sort of implied yield if they once they get to six p?
1: Yeah. So the share price at the moment is one hundred and fifteen p. So six p over one hundred and fifteen p. I'm going to tell you that's a five point two percent
0: yield. Once they get there. Splendid. Okay, let's move on and talk about ECOFIN US Renewables Infrastructure. That's R-N-E-W is the ticker. And they're in a very simple position. They put out an interim report uh, covering the period since their IPO.
1: Yeah, that's right. So they launched just before Christmas, actually, last year, 22nd of December. Uh, and so it covers off a slightly more than six-month period. At the end of June, their NAV was 98.5 cents. That was up half a cent from their NAV at IPO. So there's a few bits uh, in the portfolio. The NAV total return is actually 0.9% and the share price total return of 1.4%. But it's all about obviously getting the capital to work. So as at the end of July, they had 75% of their IPO proceeds either committed or deployed.
0: And uh, we know that the renewables have been under a bit of price pressure recently. So they're, they're still trading around par, as you implied there.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we've got them on about a 1% premium at the moment. So obviously very early days. It's probably worth noting as well that they're on track to achieve their 2 to 3 cents dividend target for this year. And thereafter, from uh, 2022 or something from the first quarter, assuming that they are fully invested by that stage, they're targeting a dividend of between 5.25 and 5.75 cents.
0: Okay, so we can move on then and talk about another set of half-year results, this time from International Public Partnerships. That's ticker I-N-P-P, another trust which is trading very strongly, I think, uh, at a big premium. Have their results uh, justified that at all?
1: I mean, it's probably a little bit of a quieter set of results, to be honest. So this is the half-year results to the end of June. Their NV was down slightly in that period, one point four percent, and that reflected a number of factors, including foreign currency and the changes to the UK corporation tax, which we talked before. But they've also increased their dividend by two point seven percent to three point seven eight p, and that was one point three times cash covered. But there's a few bits and pieces within the portfolio. There has been some disruption from the pandemic, although relatively limited, it would appear, um, but certainly there was a bit of commentary around that and how that impacted on performance during the period.
0: And what sort of uh, rating are they on at the moment? How does that compare to some of their peer groups?
1: Now, the rating is strong. So we've got them on about a 21% premium at present. I mean, we put them in the social infrastructure kind of subsector. So alongside BBGI, global infrastructure and Hickle infrastructure. So BBGI on a 25% premium at the moment and Hickel a little bit behind that on a 14% premium, but um, all of them trading well and obviously yields a key part of all those uh, investment companies. So uh, again, Hickel, the highest yield at the moment, 4.8% and then IMPP 4.4 and BBGI 4.3.
0: So is there still an implication here or an apparent implication that the NAVs may be, as it were, conservative? They may be understating the value of what they have invested in? or is it just all about the yield?
1: I mean yield is obviously very important, but yeah, it's always a talking point to be perfectly honest. If you went out and tried to replicate any of those three investment companies I mentioned, try to, uh, you know, re- build those kind of portfolios, what price would you have to pay in the secondary market just assuming that you could get hold of those kind of assets? And, you know, to your point, I think many people would argue that there is a conservative element to their valuation and that a market price would be higher. And to be fair, whenever we've seen assets sold by these infrastructure funds, so 3i infrastructure over the years has sold a number of its assets, they've invariably been at a higher level than their carrying value. In other words, again, it would kind of reinforce the argument that these things are conservatively valued.
0: OK, so we'll move on now now talk about another sector where the same considerations may apply in some cases. And this is the private equities sector. And let's kick off with HG Capital Trust, ticker HG T, which has been, I think, one of the stronger performers over a period of time and trades well. What have they had to say?
1: Yeah, so they announced their interim results for the six-month period to the end of June. Um, In that time, their NAV was up 21.4%. Share price total return, not quite as impressive as that, actually up about 17.4%, although it's worth noting that actually they had a really good run in July and August. So actually, to date, the share price of HG Capital is up 31%, and obviously that represents a significant outperformance of the FTSE all share, which is probably up about 13%. But in terms of the results and what drove that NAV performance, well, really it was the, the underlying revenue and, and profit growth of their key holdings. So their top 20 investments, which represent about 80% of the portfolio, reported uh, at last 12 month revenue and EBITDA growth of 20% and 27%, respectively. So that's what's really driven the uplift in the unrealised valuations of those companies. They've also benefited from an increase in comparable multiples, in other words, how the markets moved. But there are also quite a lot of investment activity as well. And um, just in in recent months, HG Capital has been quite busy in terms of identifying and investing in new companies. So overall, the balance sheet looks in decent shape. Liquid resources, so effectively cash, of about £239 against which they've got outstanding commitments of 623 million at the end of June. But as you say, it has been a strong performer, this one. Real focus on what they call tech-enabled businesses, but a lot of kind of defensive growth, accounting software-type businesses in there that generate repeatable earnings.
0: Okay, so let's move on then and contrast and compare, shall we say, uh, with Oakley Capital Investments, a different kind of vehicle, but also um, uh, an interesting one for many people. That's ticker OCI. Uh, they've had interim results for the same period. And uh, how did they do in comparison?
1: Yep. So their NAV total return was up 11%. So not as strong as uh, HG Capital. But actually, the share price was stronger. That was up 28% in the period. So a different type of portfolio. So Oakley have a focus on technology, consumer and education type businesses. Uh, what drove the performance of this one in this period? Uh, where well they've got a holding in Time Out and the share price of Time Out did well in that six-month period, and that was a key driver, as well as holdings in IU Group, Tech Insights, and Wishcard Technologies, although foreign exchange was a detractor. But again, they've been busy. This is a common theme across all these private equity names. There's a lot of activity this year in terms of investments. They made for platform deals, so new investments there, uh, while they had some proceeds as well. But at the end of the period, they had net assets of just over £800 million. Pounds. But it's worth noting that Oakley, we've got them trading on about a 21% discount or so at the moment. And that compares with HD Capital, which is sitting there on a 7% premium.
0: Okay. And then there's a third trust in this space we can talk about, which is the shehallian Fund. This is a Bailey Gifford offering and ticker MNTN. They've had interim results, but for a slightly different period. So six months to the 31st of July. How did they do over that period?
1: So their NAV was up. in that period. It's worth saying that NAV on their ordinary share class was up 12% in that period. So, as people may remember, they had a very big C share issue back in March this year. They raised 700 million US dollars. So, unsurprisingly, a lot of that's still in cash. So, that NAV was relatively muted, but certainly the ordinary share class was up about 13%. Again, lots of new investment activity. They made seven new investments in that six month period. And actually, a number of companies became publicly listed during the period. So as you say, this is a Bailey-Gifford vehicle, but they focus on what they call private companies and they take minority stakes. So it's invariably later stage funding rounds that they get involved uh, with these companies. So you will see some similarity between the holdings in this company and the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust in terms of their private company portfolio. But it's run by Peter Singlehurst, the head of the private companies team at Bailey-Gifford, uh, supported by Robert Natzler. And, well, they've got uh, quite, quite a bit of capital to deploy now. So the ordinary share portfolio is effectively almost fully invested. They've got about 4% cash at the end of July. But the C-share portfolio, they had about 84% in cash. And obviously, that's a reflection of the fact they just raised that money a month
0: or two before that. Uh, but the, uh, the shares continue to be in demand, at least judging by the rating, which is still pretty rich, I would say. Yep. So the ordinary share class is on about a
1: 35% premium at the moment, while the C-share are trading on about a 25% premium.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot of hope and expectation in there for them to deliver on, which uh, so far, obviously, they've been very successful at that. Let's move on and talk about a couple of specialist trust results, starting off with Menharden Resource Efficiency, that's ticker MHN. And they've also had interim results for the half year. That's right. And their
1: NAV total return was up about 12% in that period. And that compared with 4.4% for what they call their performance comparator, Which is RPI plus 3% per annum. Uh, Share price total return not as good as their NAV return. It was up about 9.1% as their discount widened from 25% to 27% in the period. But it's a slightly unusual investment trust, this one, probably off most people's radars. Um, It's a very concentrated portfolio, about 14 holdings. The top 10 represent about 94% of net assets. Ben Goldsmith is the investment manager and They're very much focused, or their key investment themes are clean energy production, resource and energy efficiency, sustainable transport, and water and waste management. But in terms of their holdings, well, their largest is Alphabet, which people will probably know better as Google. That's about 24% of net assets. They've also got a big holding in Charter Communications, and certainly they helped performance in the period, as did holdings in Ocean Wilson's ASML and LAM
0: Research. Okay, so we can move on then and talk about uh, Tufton Oceanic Assets, ticker ship SHIP. They've had some annual results out, and this is one of the shipping investment trusts that have come to the market not so long ago. What do uh, their results look like?
1: Yeah, so annual results to the end of June NAV to return up 33%. Uh, and as the commentary suggests, the performance has been driven by the strong rebound in container ship values as the markets benefited from pent up demand and inventory restocking after the lockdowns last year. So um, it's a pretty positive set of results. They're looking to increase their dividend uh, and certainly the dividend target's been increased about eight cents from the third quarter of this year. So a lot of commentary about what they're seeing in their area of the market.
0: Okay, so that one is doing well. Let's move on and talk about some property trusts now. We've got a few uh, results and updates to cover here. We'll kick off first of all with uh, Impact Healthcare REIT, ticker IHR, which have also had some interim results out.
1: That's right. Interim results to the end of June. NAV total return up 3.9% in that time. Uh, so, they saw a valuation uplift in the six month period, and that was largely reflective of some of the rent increases that they saw. So, as the name would suggest, this is very much focused on care homes, and unsurprisingly, perhaps 100% of rent due was collected in the period. But they continue to build out the portfolio. Uh, on, on the completion of their kind of latest deals, the portfolio will have over 110 properties with over 6,100 beds. In terms of the dividends, they've declared a dividend 3.21p in respect of that half-year period, and that's up just under 2% from the comparative period last year. Uh, and again, that was covered by um, earnings per share as well.
0: And then we can talk about Standard Life Investments Property Income Trust, another Standard Life Trust. I wonder if that's going to change its name or not. SLI is the ticker. What have they had to say?
1: Yeah, so this is not a set of results, but probably an interesting development I thought worth highlighting. Uh, basically, they announced this week that they've acquired land that will be used as part of the fund's carbon strategy. So they've acquired over 1,400 hectares of land in the Kergolm National Park. They've bought this for £7.5 million, and the idea that there will be 1.5 million trees planted on this site, uh, and also some peatland restoration as well as the remaining open land to support biodiverse habitats. So why have they done this? Why has this UK commercial property company gone down this route? Well, the idea is that uh, they will be able to sequester 195,000 tonnes of carbon until 2060. And this represents 73% of their residual embedded and operational carbon. So it's basically it's a carbon offset. And they had basically adopted a carbon net zero strategy some time ago. So this is very much a key part of that. So an interesting development. The manager anticipates uh, making a couple of further acquisitions, albeit on a smaller scale, to complete this element of the carbon strategy.
0: So it's an interesting development, as you say. Is this something that other trusts are doing in this particular sector or is it actually a novelty as far as this particular trust is concerned? And if so, how do you think shareholders should react to that news? I mean, obviously, you might think that's good news in terms of carbon targets, but is it actually going to be good for the value of the investment trust? How would you think about that?
1: Gosh, well, there's a few questions there. What I can tell you is that um, I'm not aware of any other property investment company doing the same thing. That's not to say that a number won't be looking at this. I know that Jason Bagley, the long-standing manager of this particular vehicle is incredibly passionate about ESG and you know i think this is a subject near and dear to his heart so i suspect he has probably been one of the key drivers of this could we see other property investment companies go down a similar route or even operational companies frankly could they do the same thing uh, it's not an impossibility you know how will shareholders react to it Well, again, that's a good question. I suspect there will be some who will welcome it, actually. But it's probably one of those things that people will just want to think it through a little bit and the implications and uh, what it means. But I think in terms of uh, adopting carbon net zero policies, um, it all sounds very good, but there has to be a practical element to this. So this is one of the first investment companies that I'm aware of that has actually adopted a, a kind of practical response to achieving that target. So it'd be interesting to see if others follow suit.
0: It will indeed, yeah. And of course, we know that the commercial property sector, the, they went to very wide discounts last year after the pandemic struck, and they've been edging their way back again, delivering quite good returns as a result. Uh, what's been the experience in the case of this one, and how does that compare to um, some of the other big property uh, investment trusts out there?
1: You make a good point. I mean, it has seen um, some kind of rebound, although uh, it's fair to say the discount's still relatively wide. So we've got it on about a 16% discount at present. That's narrower than the 22, 23% average discount that it's been on in the previous 12 months. Uh, And overall, obviously, the UK commercial property sector has seen a positive re-rating this year. But there are certainly those property funds on wider discounts, but equally there are those uh, on tighter or even uh, a couple, as we mentioned, LXI REIT, for instance, that are trading on premium ratings. So there's quite a range in that subsector. And Standard Life Investment Property probably finds itself somewhere in the middle.
0: I think the other point to make there, to be fair, is that, I mean, the 7.5 million, I mean, what percentage does that represent of the asset value of the trust? I mean, it's not a, it's not a huge percentage, is it?
1: No, that's a very good point, actually. So, we've got assets of um, about 430 million for this investment trust at the moment. So, as a proportion of its total assets, it's, it's relatively small.
0: Okay. And so, finally, we come on, of course, to a music royalty announcement. We've had a couple of weeks without them. It's been really quite strange. But this time it's Roundhill Music Royalty, uh, ticker RHM, not Hypnosis, the other music royalty trust. What have Roundhill Music Royalty done this week? We have to keep covering this because it's uh, of interest, we know, to a number of our listeners, particularly those of a certain age. What's, uh, what's What's the announcement they've made this week?
1: Well, they have acquired the master royalty income of a gentleman called Dennis Elliott, no relation, but the original drummer of the rock group foreigner apparently the catalogue comprises 71 recordings spanning the first seven foreigner studio albums as a band i wasn't aware of this but Foreigner have sold in excess of 80 million records worldwide and uh, though it's fair to say that uh, between 2018 and 2020 27 of the catalogue revenue was generated by just the top three songs while 59% was generated by the top 10 songs. And just in case you weren't familiar with the work of Foreigner, probably their key song is I Want to Know What Love Is, probably a bit of a classic there. But Dennis Elliott has benefited from uh, Roundhill Music's uh, largesse, and uh, he is a gentleman from Peckham. He's 71 years old uh, and apparently left the band about 30 years ago to become a sculptor.
0: Yeah, so he's had a kind of late uh, payday, if you like, or he's been able to capitalise any future royalties. We don't know how significant they are. The other interesting thing, of course, being in France, I wasn't fully aware of this, that uh, I think the gentleman who started Foreigner was a guy called Mick Jones, I think. And his first big break came in 1964 when he moved to Paris and was hired to play with the French singer Sylvie Varton and later hard to work as musical director for the French rock icon Johnny Halliday, who died not so long ago. There we are, another bit of useless trivia to <laughs> to end with. But interesting always, these songs. And uh, so if you are a shareholder in Roundhill Music Royalty, you better get those old Foreigner albums out and start playing them. Uh, they're on tour at the moment, apparently, I'm told, but that's in America. So you have to go over there to, to hear what they're up to. So with that, I think we've come to the end of this week's podcast. And as I say, Simon, we're hoping, well, I'm sure the the broking community is hoping for a lot more activity on both the fundraising and uh, lots of results to come. And hopefully this uh, bull market will continue, notwithstanding the mayor's concerns that uh, a lot of people have about the macro situation. So Simon, thank you. I don't know if you've got anything else you'd like to add this week about um, what you're looking forward to in the coming weeks.
1: Well, it might just be worth mentioning that we're involved with Mellow on Tuesday evening on their investment trust event.
0: Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me, Simon. That's right. We are going to effectively uh, have a little chat about the investment trust sector at this uh, online Mellow event, which is an event for private shareholders. If you uh, Google Mellow Trusts and Funds, you'll find a link there. It's free. So there's no excuse for not joining if you want to hear us twice next week. But we'll be back as normal next week uh, at the weekend with a full review of the whole week. And uh, we very much look forward to being with you again then, Simon.
1: This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening. And if you want more news, analysis, interviews, and other investment trust content, don't forget to take a look at our premium service, The Moneymakers Circle, available now at the website.